Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Greg Lois, and I'm welcoming you to our New Jersey Workers' Compensation webinar today. Our topic is the defense of non-employment in New Jersey. And we've titled this for fun, Not My Employee, because we're going to start to talk about uh, how we raise employment as a defense in New Jersey. We're going to talk about problem issues in the definition of uh, employment. And in particular, I'm going to look at some emerging problem issues. Uh, those of, well, independent contractors have been around forever. That's always one. But how about the increasing prevalence of uh, leased employees, lent employees, uh, temporary agency uh, employees who are being placed perhaps on another employer's premises or work site? I'm also going to talk about brand employees, which might uh, be an unfamiliar name to or term for some people. That's really when one brand or one employer is placing their employees in another brand or retailer's location uh, to represent just their brand. And we're going to talk about gig economy workers, uh, particularly in the context of New Jersey workers' compensation claims. So I hope this is uh, interesting to everyone and these topics are timely. Uh, I'm not going to spend a ton of time uh, explaining the basics. I figure everybody uh, is pretty up to speed with it, just one or two slides on that. And then I'm going to dive into some of the more advanced topics. This is totally live. I just typed a chat to all the people that are watching. Uh, please type in your questions. It makes it so much more fun uh, if you're asking questions as we go through this today. I will answer all the questions at the end that we have. So if you have questions about an employer-employee issue in one of your pending cases, uh, feel free to ask it. I will never say the name of the person asking the question. I'll just call you by your first name, and I'll try to anonymize. Well, I'll try not to use any names of any of your actual clients, anonymize. Mm, okay, that's a tough word for me to say, uh, but basically I'm not going to uh, uh, give up anybody's or waive anybody's privacy by saying any names. So please feel free to ask your questions, particularly about any cases or claims uh, which are challenging you right now. All right, I'm presuming that everybody, I had to get a copy of it, has a copy of my New Jersey handbook. So basically, chapter three of the handbook talks about who is an employer, who is an employee, what is the definition of employment in New Jersey. I'm just presuming that everybody has read this book. Uh, I know it's a great stocking stuffer. I know uh, for and a lot of people put it in their kids' Easter baskets, uh, perhaps yesterday for Easter, uh, because it's such a fun book. It's such a fun read. But if you haven't read it, let me give you the quick Cliff Notes uh, edition or quick Cliff Notes uh, version of who is, what does employee mean? First of all, it's specifically de uh, defined in the statute, section 36, and it says that someone who provides a service for financial consideration. There's a lot more to it, uh, but really that's it. You gotta get paid, so volunteers don't count uh, in most instances. Uh, how did someone prove employment? Well, they have a pay stub. They have a W-2. There's some record of them being employed. This doesn't mean that a cash employee doesn't count. They do, but that's typically the way it would be established. They're able to show that there is financial consideration uh, for the work that they're doing. Uh, the statute, get rid of that book now, the statute uh, per in specifically exempts longshore persons. I can't say longshore man. That would be uh, sexist of me. Longshore persons are not covered. So if there is a potential longshore claim, uh, the New Jersey Workers' Compensation Court would not have jurisdiction over that case. And that's an important distinction between New York law, which does allow uh, both of those claims to proceed at the same time. 
All right, the way the defense of lack of employment is raised is very simple. Uh, simply stated, when uh, the case is denied or disputed by the employer or carrier, you just send them a nice little letter that says, hello, uh, you're not the employee of our insured or you're not our employee, therefore we are not finding your case compensable. That's it, you're done, you're handled. Uh, you can file the Freud Asho 4 with the state of New Jersey saying that. Uh, they don't really uh, penalize employers for not doing it, but okay. Uh, and then if the uh, petitioner or employee does claim that they are your employee and is demanding benefits, step two is they will file a claim petition and then uh, we will file on your behalf an answering statement which checks the box and says, this is not my employee, employment is denied and disputed. That's how these issues are joined and the defense is raised. All right, so, who can be an employee in New Jersey? Again, we've already said it's anybody who's providing a service for financial consideration. I mean, it gets paid for a service, okay? Uh, sole proprietors can elect to be covered under their workers' compensation uh, insurance. Now, when we get a claim for a sole proprietor, uh, and this happens many times in the context of the small retail location, like a gas station uh, or a small shop, and it's the owner who's bringing the claim, I think there should be red flags going off for everybody. like really, uh, really hard to dispute those claims, particularly if that's the only employer, there's not a number of other employees. Um, illegal employment, so employments in which the person is trying to actively uh, evade uh, taxes or trying not to characterize the employment as an employment, uh, those still count, right? So uh, the activities that are be undertaken by the alleged employee, uh, things like, hey, I wanna be paid off the books, I don't wanna be paid on the books, pay me off the books, and, and maybe the employer or the other contracting party says, sure, yeah, I'll pay you off the books, that's cool, I get it. Uh, that doesn't mean that person's not your employee, just because you're doing something to try to pay them off the books and avoid maybe the implication or tax uh, implications of having an employee. Uh, how about people who have no legal work status in this country? Uh, you know, around here we call them pre-citizens, people who are maybe in this country and with an undocumented or illegal status, but they're working anyway. Uh, there is case law in New Jersey, and the case law goes back to 1996, that despite the fact that the person has no legal work status in this country, they still can be entitled to workers' compensation benefits. Uh, so, you know, both illegal employments, meaning the employment itself is not covered correctly under a state statute or law, or a person who has no legal working status could be covered as an employee under the New Jersey workers' compensation law. Who's not an employee? This is a pretty short list. Uh, independent contractors are by definition not an employee. I'm gonna talk about them in a future slide. Um, your vendors are not your employees. Subcontractors to an independent contractor, not your employees. And casual employments are not considered your employees. And really casual means they are providing service to you, but it is so incidental to your actual business. Uh, it is the landscaper who is uh, blowing leaves or shoveling snow in your parking lot. Uh, it's got nothing to do with the actual employer's business. They really are just providing a service. It, you, it might be a recurring service. You might hire them every time it snows or every time the leaves build up on your premises, but that doesn't make them your employee. Another good example is babysitters. Uh, babysitters are a casual employee. Even if you have the same babysitter, even if they come to your house uh, three times a month, every Saturday night they come over and they know I work there on Saturday nights, it doesn't matter. They're not your employee. They're there. It's a very casual employment, and that would not be considered. Uh, another thing is caddies. 
Uh, your caddy is not your employee. It's just somebody you're contracting with. They're helping you this day on the golf course to carry your bags, but really that's it. Okay, so again, pretty rare that we have those kinds of cases where we're talking or raising the defense of casual employment. Much more common that we're raising the defense that this person's actually an independent contractor. So let's talk about that defense. First, no one cares, not one whit, what the parties have characterized their uh, employment relationship as or their relationship has. Uh, if I have an employee, for example, my practice manager, well, literally works next to me all day long in an adjoining office. Uh, we work together, uh, solve problems all day, takes direction from me, certainly, uh, handles my correspondence, et cetera. The fact that I put on her, and I don't do this, but if I did it, the fact that I put on her uh, employment uh, relationship, I said, oh, you're not going to get a W-2, you're going to get a 1099. Now, we're going to call you an independent contractor, and this way I can save a couple bucks on benefits or compliance stuff, and I won't have to get workers' comp coverage for you. And even if she agreed with that, she said, sure, Greg, sounds great to me, uh, cool, I'll be your independent contractor, uh, it's not going to work. Right, because uh, the truce test of independent contractor status is not what people wrote down on a piece of paper, and it is certainly not what we're telling the IRS what their tax status might be. It's the ability to direct and control that person. A true independent contractor is someone who's doing their work in a completely independent manner. They're bringing their own tools, they're bringing their own expertise, they're bringing their own materials to do the job. Um, just because the employer actually pays for the materials doesn't actually make a difference. Uh, the fact that they're bringing it, they're collecting the materials they need, they have Navy specialized tools, and they're doing this essentially without day-to-day -day supervision or monitoring. Uh, just being the owner of a premises does not make you the employer of uh, someone who is your independent contractor on those premises. Typically, the independent contractor will have a very different business than the employer, and I think that's really the thing, uh, one of the things we should be focusing on. You know, if my business is to provide over-the-road trucking services to my clients, and I'm calling independent contractors, all of the guys who load and unload my trucks, it's gonna be unlikely that that would uh, survive uh, a challenge in the workers' compensation court. Um, generally speaking, too, independent contractors should have their own insurances, whether that's an occupational accident policy or their own workers' compensation policies, so that when the matter goes before the workers' compensation law judge and the person's in court screaming and yelling and saying, I got injured on this person's job and I'm their employee and I'm not an independent contractor, uh, one of the things we want to let the judge know is, hey, this person's covered. Look, they have their own occupational accident policy. Hey, they have their own workers' comp policy, judge. There's no reason to bring me in as the employer. Let's look at their own policy. So that's a, another good thing we can do. Um, problematic is the concept of dual employment. New Jersey absolutely has a concept of dual employment. And in fact, every single case you ever have in which the issue of whose employee is this anyway, is raised, right? Anytime you're raising that defense or raising that question, uh, and maybe there is no proper employer, or maybe the person is the employee of an uninsured business, because that happens a lot, all of a sudden you're gonna have this new entity in the case, the, uh, the Deputy Attorney General representing the Uninsured Employers Fund, and they're gonna be pointing fingers at everybody who ever knew this person and saying, you're all this person's employee. Uh, and they will uh, try to drag everybody into the case because New Jersey does have a concept of dual employment. You can be the employee of two different entities at the same time, and that would be where maybe one entity pays you, but a totally different entity controls and directs you all day long. Uh, and that happens frequently in the when the uh, situation of lent employees, uh, PEO organizations or organizations that are in the business of providing temporary workers. So uh, in those circumstances, the employee does have one 
clear employer who's paying them, hiring them, sending them out to job sites, paying taxes and benefits, and whose name is appearing on their payroll. But they're being sent to a completely different employer's premises to actually provide services. Uh, who is their employer? Well, technically, under New Jersey's workers' compensation law, both are their employers. Most of the time, this doesn't result in a problem because the lending employer who is giving this temporary worker or this part-time worker or this service worker uh, to the borrowing employer, who may be the premises or the location that the employee is actually working at, has a contract in place and says, I'm going to provide you with all these employees. If there's ever an issue about workers' comp and coverage, uh, I'll tell you what, I'm going to indemnify you. I'm going to step in here and make sure that this is taken care of. So in those ways, those relationships, even though they generally could be quite complicated because New Jersey does recognize this idea of dual employment, are not because in practice, the parties have contracted in advance to figure out who the employer is going to be. Um, all right, so let's talk about something that's uh, you know relatively uh, new and it's absolutely spreading. We're seeing more and more of these brand employees. Brand employees. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is the employee is actually the employee, alleged employee anyway, of a brand. Uh, it could be a cosmetics company. Um, frequently, it's a high technology company that is providing someone to a retail location to both represent the brand and provide sales within that retail location. So think about the person behind the cosmetics counter in a department store who is explaining to customers all about the benefits and the uses of this very uh, complicated uh, maybe beauty product or uh, cosmetic product or a product that requires uh, some care and attention in the way that it is applied, et cetera. And this person is actually the employee of the brand. The brand is training them, paying them, uh, or you know, maybe paying them on commission, setting their hours, sending them to the retail location, uh, supervising them, et cetera. And really their only connection with the, uh, the, uh, the retail location is just the location. It's the fact that they're just providing the service, again, to the brand within this retail environment. Uh, so there are cases, and, and uh, the case that I've cited today or I've, I've put into the handouts is the Colomeo decision. It's a New York decision, but I think it would apply equally in New Jersey. In that case, we have a brand employee who's hired, controlled, directed, paid, supervised by the brand, but they're placed inside a Bloomingdale's location, inside that retail location. Uh, they then bring a workers' compensation claim, and there's an argument that Bloomingdale's is the actual employer. Uh, it turns out, no, they're not. Uh, Bloomingdale's is just the location they provided the service, and the brand is actually the employee, the employer. So that's something to be mindful of, and particularly as we go into uh, some of these big box retail stores. Um, uh, I'm a member of the BJ Club in my town, which is like a wholesale uh, store, and inside they have a Verizon store. And I suspect the employees in the Verizon store are probably actually Verizon employees because they're there to explain the plans and all of the, the high-tech phones and not the employees perhaps maybe of the BJs. And there's a lot of examples of that, a lot of big box retailers who will have maybe a software company's uh, employee who's inside the store, they're selling inside the store, but they're actually the employee of the uh, software vendor. Um, all right, so that's a little bit about brand employees, just something to be mindful of as we start to explore this topic. 
Uh, what about gig economy workers? So more and more people are employed in this alleged gig economy where they are trading their time. They're using an app to sign up to provide a service like Uber. I know my office, we use Uber Eats almost every single day here, it feels like. Uh, DoorDash is one. We use that for food as well. Um, Lyft is another good example of this. And, you know, you've got to, everyone's uh, now familiar with this, these gig economy type jobs. Uh, what happens when those gig economy workers get injured and then say, you know what, I'm actually the employee of this uh, maybe specific uh, employer, maybe this application? So uh, not great case law in New Jersey, no reported appellate decisions on this yet, to my knowledge. Uh, however, in New York, my firm has made the case law on this, and so we started to help make the case law anyway. And I put in the handout today our case defending DoorDash against the claims of their gig economy worker that they were an employee. What did the court look at in that case? What did we show? We showed that, hey, uh, we didn't hire him. He just downloaded an app. He chooses when to or when not to use the app. He has no set hours. He's paid based on the delivery, not based on any other scale. We don't require him to wear a uniform. We never have required a uniform. Uh, we do not require any specific transportation. We don't inspect his vehicle in this case. It was a bicycle. Uh, and we don't tell him when to turn the app off. Uh, he can work as much as he wants or as little as he wants. There are no set schedules. And then finally, uh, we don't actually supervise or even monitor the work. Uh, the claimant in the DoorDash case alleged that because the people using the app leave reviews for him, that's how we were supervising him. Uh, the court found that to be simply specious and said, nope, there's no actual supervision or management of you. You're not their employee. I think that same reasoning and logic would hold up in any gig economy worker case that happens in New Jersey. Now, the challenge is, of course, that New Jersey, as crazy as this is going to seem, is actually crazier than New York in terms of always trying to find someone the employee of someone else. Uh, what I mean by that is New Jersey has this incredibly paternalistic structure, and the judges are probably going to look around and scream and yell and pound their hands and bring parties in until they find someone to be found the employee of another. In fact, you know, independent contractor defenses in New Jersey are not frequently successful, even in situations where we can argue or there has been argued uh, that the person may have uh, their own coverage, et cetera. The judges will typically look at that relative nature of work test and the ability to control and direct the work test and then find someone to be the employee of another. In fact, New Jersey's gone so far as to find that welfare recipients who were engaging in job training as a condition of being on welfare to be the employees of the welfare department. Let me repeat that again. In order to get welfare, you have to go to some basic job training. Uh, this is, uh, again, uh, part of the basic uh, uh, legislation that they have. Uh, a welfare recipient got injured while doing a job training to, again, stay on welfare, not earn wages. And the courts found that the welfare is basically like getting pay, and the job is basically learning how to do a job. So if you get injured uh, in a work training program while you're on welfare, the loss of wages is welfare somehow and that you're still entitled to it forever. Um, recently, this year, New Jersey also found that a volunteer employee can be imputed to have a wage, even where the employee admits, I am 100% retired and all I do is volunteer work. Now, New Jersey has a very uh, nice uh, uh, portion of the statute which does cover volunteer firefighters and ambulance workers, et cetera. Uh, but, uh, the fact that they are imputing wages to people who admit that they are retired makes really no sense. I will expect that to go up to New Jersey Supreme Court.
All right, so uh, the reason I'm bringing this up and the reason this slide's in place is just to remind everyone who's playing along at home that although New Jersey does have what seems to be bright light employment rules, these are going to be interpreted by judges. And in my experience, uh, they have uh, interpreted quite liberally to find many things which really don't seem to uh, qualify as employment to end up being a covered employee relationship. All right, I'm hoping that people have been typing in their questions because it makes it so much more fun uh, when there are questions. Let's come over here and see. Okay, and if you haven't typed in your question now, as I start to go through the first one, please type your questions in. Again, it makes it a lot more fun. So Christina asks, uh, I was watching John Oliver, and he stated that um, WWE workers, so this is the World Wrestling Entertainment Organization, are independent contractors. And how is the owner able to get away with that? Wouldn't they be, in fact, employees? So that's interesting. So I didn't know that uh, professional wrestlers may be independent contractors. Uh, I could see them the making the argument that the way that they perform their work, they're really more like performers and they're more like independent contractors. Sure, maybe. Uh, I don't see that applying in every state that they work in. So, for example, many states have very specific definitions of what an independent contractor is and is not. Uh, New Jersey would probably find a performer in a theatric performance like World Wrestling uh, to be an employee and not an employer, and particularly to the, uh, to the extent to which the events are choreographed, scripted, uh, the extent to which the fights themselves are choreographed and scripted, and the degree to which they are directed uh, by the alleged owning entity. So I think all of those things would be taken into consideration, and I would imagine that in this state, particularly New Jersey, that the wrestlers participating in the World Wrestling Federation uh, bouts would be found to be employees and not independent contractors, uh, unless they are somehow truly organizing this themselves, which I don't think that's the case. Uh, Michelle asked the question, can an employer push their drivers to be independent contractors in order to reduce their workers' comp exposure? Does the driver have to have more than one customer to be deemed independent? Okay, so this is a great question because it really gets to the heart of that independent contractor uh, definition, right? So uh, some states like New York have published guidance as to what an independent contractor exactly is and exactly is not. Uh, New Jersey, it, this is going to be a more case-by-case -case analysis, and we're going to look at uh, the relative nature of the work test, and then we're going to look at uh, who can direct and control their labor. So relative nature of the work test is, hey, I'm an over-the-road trucking company, and your question says, can an employer push the drivers to become independent contractors? They just want to reduce their workers' comp exposure. Uh, the relative nature of the work, the drivers, is the same as the alleged employer, which is going to be over-the-road trucking, Imagine, I imagine. So essentially, uh, they're going to be saying that all these guys who were my employees last week, now they're all my independent contractors. But by the way, I'm still their only customer. Right. And, and they're just providing the service to me. I'm just essentially paying them a different way. That's where you're going to run into problems. And I think you did were are smart to point out the fact, what if they don't have more than one customer? That's the problem. Right. Because how independent of this single alleged employer are they really going to be if they have one employer? Now, there are things that can be done to characterize these as more independent relationships. And particularly, I would be wanting to make sure if I was defending those claims, you know, potential claims brought by those potential independent contractors who are providing trucking services to just one entity. I want to make sure that every single one of them has their own workers' comp policy. I want to make sure they all have their own bill of lading and CDL licenses that are 
or show them uh, their own dot numbers, their own DOT numbers, which would show that they have their own actual independent entity. And I'd want them to all have their own workers' comp insurance or at the very least their own occupational accident policy. And the employer can even help facilitate them getting their own occupational accident policy or their own workers' comp policy. That's okay. Uh, just so that when these things do come to a head and they do say, yeah, it was actually your employer, employee. I didn't actually work for myself. That was all a sham that we can say, okay, well, you have your own workers' comp coverage. Why don't you go after that? And then we'll fight it out with their carrier maybe down the road. All right, so those are really great questions. I appreciate those questions very much. All right, uh, that's all the questions I have so far. So if you haven't had a chance to type your question in, uh, you know, email it to me or call me up and I'll be happy to answer it uh, for you. Uh, in between, next time we're going to meet is the fourth Monday of May, May 28th. Uh, we're going to talk about the overview of common defenses in New Jersey. We're going to kind of run through the rest of the defenses. We've covered a bunch so far uh, this year. We're going to go through a whole bunch of other statutory, legal, and fact defenses and how we use them practically in defending a workers' comp claim. I appreciate everybody joining us today. Thanks, and I'll see you next time.